We're carrying on with our series in um, First Thessalonians, so if you want to have a look at the service sheet on the back. Uh, we're not reading the whole of chapter 2, we're going to read just part of it together. First Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 1. This is God's life-giving word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labour and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you to encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory." We'll leave the reading of God's Word there for a few minutes. It's helpful to have that open uh, or available just in front of you because we'll be referring to it as we go through the sermon. Uh, this is the second in our series called Transforming Community. And uh, last week we looked at the sort of the four I don't know, fundamental, foundational um, principles of transforming community. And the idea with transforming community is that it's a community that transforms people. That's why it's transforming community. But as the title also suggests, we're transforming our understanding of community. So both of those topics are sort of uh, woven through the series, and I hope to show you this as we, as we go through. So today, uh, we're going to be looking at two attributes that build the transforming community. We saw like, the fundamentals that have to be there, and now we're going to look, and we're going to see as we go through this passage, two attributes that if you possess them, as individuals within Foundation Church, if we collectively possess them, then that will add, that will build transforming community, which is what we want, isn't it? We want to develop and build, by the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, a community that attracts people to the good news, the life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. And so those two attributes, and we'll see this as we go through, number one, if you possess it, is authenticity. Authenticity builds transforming community. And the second attribute that you'll see later on is missionality, which is not a real word. I'll tell you right now, it is not a real word. I made it up, um, but it, if I just put authenticity and missional, it didn't really sound just right. So authenticity and missionality are the two attributes that I hope and pray as a result of this, we shall possess as a church in more depth. First of all, authenticity. What does it mean to be authentic? Uh, what, what I understand by being authentic is, is being genuine, is being legitimate, transparent. It means that your deepest inner thoughts and desires match up perfectly to the way you are, what you say and what you do and how you behave. That's what it means to be authentic. And, and Paul 
and his missionary friends, remember Timothy and, and Silas, they're the three that wrote the letter together, three of them, they were authentic in their ministry towards the Thessalonian Christians to which this letter is addressed as they planted the church, as they gathered believers, as they instilled community values. They always strove towards authenticity among the church, demonstrating it, teaching it. Look down at verse 3. It says, this is what happens when we don't have a stand. Verse 3, it says, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. And again, in verse 5, he said, We never came to you with words of flattery, nor with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek glory from other people. See, two sets of three negatives. We were, not, we were none of these things, says Paul. In other words, they were authentic with the church. They were not trying to fool the Christians. They were not trying to manipulate them for their own gain. They were not trying to establish their own power. They were not trying to earn their own money by extorting the people using spiritual means. They were not trying to build up for themselves their prestige so they would look good in the eyes of other people. They didn't preach a half-baked sermon, not this easy listening, you know, you're not so bad but God loves you anyway kind of message. There was no self-serving heresy. There was no podium building. Here's why. It says in verse 2 that we were shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know. Uh, we had our boldness, uh, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. What's he talking about there? If you're familiar at all with uh, the book of Acts, uh, which is sort of the historic account of Paul and his missionary journeys, you can look at Acts chapter 16 and you'll realize there that Paul and Silas, the other, one of the other ones who wrote this letter, uh, and Timothy probably, were call, causing an uproar in Philippi, another city in that region called Macedonia. They had freed a girl who had been enslaved by a demon and the girl's owners, she was a slave, not just to demons, but to, to people, and the girl's owners were not happy that Paul and Silas had done that. So they had them arrested, they had them beaten, they had them placed in stocks in the jail, despite their being Roman citizens. And eventually, uh, by the grace of God, through a massive miracle, they got out of jail, they went on to the next town called Thessalonica. And in Acts 17, you see there that after preaching the gospel in this city, angry mobs were roused and, and, and chased them out, of Thessalonica to the next town down the road. And so Paul is saying in verse 2, this shows, my experience in Philippi shows that we are authentically preaching the true gospel. We are bold and we keep going despite the threats, despite the mobs. They could, of course, be sincerely wrong in their message. But he goes on in verse 4, he says, we were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. See, as an apostle who's been called by God, who receives the, the gospel from God, who is charged by God to make Christ known throughout the Gentile world, he was living an authentic life in his mission to preach Jesus Christ. He says more positively in verse 10, we were holy and righteous and blameless in our conduct towards you. And so he stands before the church effectively in this letter with a clear conscience. He says to them, you know our story. 
You remember us well. You've heard our message. You've noted our conduct. We have lived with you. God knows our heart and he knows that we are faithful to the call. You can see time and again through this section of the letter, Paul is underscoring his authenticity among the people of Thessalonica. But then he takes this and develops it even more. He's almost been defending and saying, we're not this, we're not this, we're not that, we're not the other thing. There are other teachers, by the way, doing the rounds at that time who were those things, who were trying to build a platform for themselves, who were trying to extort money from their hearers, etc. But not Paul. And he uses two pictures to describe his way of life with the Thessalonians. He says in verse 7, we were gentle among you. This is so gorgeous, by the way. We We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There, there, there are few relationships that we can ever experience or observe as human beings that are more tender and loving than a nursing mother with a young child. Just in that, in that image, in that metaphor, conjures up this sense of care, provision, feeding, even protecting, guarding against danger. And Paul was saying here in this part of the letter, that's how we were with you. That's how we exercised our authority among you as a doting mother with her children. There's such tenderness in the apostles' words right here. But not only as a mother, he goes on in verse 11, he said to them later on, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Not only were they like a mother in their approach to the Thessalonian believers, but they were like a father as well, portraying their fatherly care for them, teaching them, encouraging them, directing them, charging them to behave in a certain way. Now look, just in case you're wondering, Paul was not making a point that only mothers can do this and only fathers can do that. That was not his point. As if he could say that fathers can't nurture and feed and care for children and mothers can't teach and instruct. And That's not what he was saying. Paul is using these complementary parental functions to lay out the breadth of their love and their care and their concern for the Thessalonian believers. And it is just a a beautiful picture, this motherly and fatherly kind of love. It's, It's hard to think of anywhere else in Scripture where the spiritual leader behind the words of Scripture speaks with such warm, loving devotion to his or her people. Truly, Paul had a deep love for these believers. This is authentic love displayed for all to see. It's not contrived. It's not put on for the crowds. This isn't a play for popularity or just being nice to people to win a hearing. But this is authentic love without duplicity, without underhanded convictions. Just imagine for a few moments what that would have been like for the Thessalonian church, to have that kind of spiritual leader over them in the Lord. This group of leaders and apostles, loving them in that way. Imagine how that would have felt. Imagine what that would have done in the development and the building of their transforming community in in Thessalonica. 
how, how cared for and safe they would have felt. What a place that would have been. You know, many modern people are skeptical, to say the least, about Christians. Often it's accused of the truth claims that Christians make are never backed up in real life by the way they, they behave. It's all a front, they say. It's an attempt to control or manipulate people. It's a setup. But ironically, we also live in a culture that craves for authenticity. To, to, to touch something that is, that is really there, that actually, actually means something. To actually possess truth, capital T. But the best thing that this world, this non-Christian world can offer is a, a false authenticity, a fabrication. Just think for a moment about social media as just one way that this is applied and, and demonstrated in, in our world. Like Instagram, for example. Um, Instagram is one of these things, you know, it's the, the, the social media um, platform that's predominantly photographs with a few words underneath, lots and lots of photos. And the idea with Instagram is it can, conveys this sort of understanding this sort of natural, this is, this is who I am, take me as you find me, I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve kind of approach. That's, that's what it sort of draws out of its people. But actually, if you use Instagram, and I, I do use Instagram uh, from time to time, you know how carefully contrived it is, how much time we spend putting the right filters on and saying the right words and just making it look as natural and as authentic as we possibly can. But of course, the irony is that the more time we spend on it, the less and less authentic it actually is. We don't really want authenticity. We want this sort of pretend, projected version of authenticity. But in a local church such as this, where transforming community is beginning and is being built and is being deepened, you can see how deeply attractive that could be to the outside world who craves authenticity but just doesn't know how to find it. Doesn't know it when it's looking at them right in the face. Because here, in the local church, is a group of people who can be truly authentic because of the gospel. We don't need to present a fake version of ourselves in order to project a better version. Because in the gospel, we realize that we are worse than we could ever think about. We are worse and more broken and sinful than we actually realize. But in the gospel, because of Jesus, we are more accepted and loved than we can dream of. And so that generates within us a power to be authentic. And its results in a transforming community are just simply beautiful. So first of all, we see through this passage, authenticity. Okay? But secondly, and this is important, missionality, which is a made-up word, but it's missional behavior. If authenticity, if you think about, if it deals with the inner aspects, the heart, the motivation, the belief, then missionality focuses on its outworking. So look down at verse 8. So, says Paul, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. 
Isn't that an amazing verse? I love, I love this term. It sounds so old-fashioned, doesn't it? Affectionately desirous. Uh, the NIV, if you ever uh, read, read that version of, the, of the, the, the Bible, it says, it translates, we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel of God, but our lives. I, I think that just sounds a bit limp. You know, we loved you so affectionately desirous. It's only used, this one word is only used here in the whole New Testament. So deep was our affection for you, says Paul. So deep was our love for you that we shared not only the gospel message of Jesus Christ, who is dead and is now alive, we share that with you, but we share our lives as well. I'm not just going to preach and explain the gospel to you, says Paul. You know that we demonstrated it. We, we were an example to you. You can see here, can't you, that the key in all of this is, is, is relationship. There's no sense of Paul standing behind a podium somewhere, delivering these wonderful theological speeches, and then sort of scurrying off somewhere to the green room until the next time. He says we shared our lives, and that, that necessitates closeness, proximity, relationship, like a father, like a mother, frequent contact. Paul and his, his team were deep with his people. They were in their lives. Relationship is the context for authenticity. He goes on in verse 9. He says, For you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. We labored and toiled. I love that. I love that the greatest apostle, possibly the greatest theologian and missionary and church planter that the world has ever seen didn't think of himself too highly to actually put in the hard graft. Uh, we, we know from Acts 18 verse 3 that Paul uh, was, was a tent maker by trade. He was an artisan. He could have expected support from his churches. They would provide for his lodgings. They, they would provide for his expenses. He had that right. He had that privilege as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But instead, him and his buddies, Silas and Timothy, were self-supporting. They got on and worked with leather, what well, he did anyway, making tents. This served, obviously, a practical purpose. It says there in that verse, verse 9, so that, you know, he did this so that we would not be a burden to any of you. He didn't want to take money from fledgling churches. He wanted to help them to become established. And we'll see this a bit later on, actually, when we start to think how this applies to us. But this is a great way to ch plant churches in, in, in new places. It's for the leaders to be working, to be bivocational. Anyway, he says, we did this, we worked, labored and toiled, while we proclaim the gospel of God. We you know there's one, one commentator uh, on this particular passage who, who points out that this phrase working night and day and this phrase working, uh, sorry, proclaiming to you, uh, both can contain the continuous tense in the Greek. So what he's, what he's effectively saying here, Paul that is, is that these things were happening together. We were working night and day while we were teaching the gospel of Jesus, both together at the same time, leading us to think that not only was Paul funding his own mission, 
But for him, work was actually part of that mission. He was working and sharing the gospel at the same time. Because for Paul, he seemed to choose to work, not just because he had to, out of necessity. Apparently, it was a recognized practice among pagan philosophers, Cynic philosophers of, of his day, where they would purposely set up a workshop or some sort of uh, place where they would actually sit and work and earn their living, but also be discussing their philosophy and debating and, uh, and talking with anyone who would come in and sit with them whilst they get about their work. And so very likely that was what was going on in Thessalonica. The modern term for this, as I said a few moments ago, is bivocational ministry, where you're working to provide for yourself, but you're also working to generate mission out there. And this seems to be Paul's tactic here. Just imagine for a second people coming and going in his little workshop just off Main Street in Thessalonica. The coffee brewing in the background, the smell of leather in the air, various tools around the place as Paul is making tents repairs, skillfully cutting his pieces of leather. And yet at the same time he's talking, he's sharing the gospel with whoever would come, critics, skeptics, believers, the guy next door, in and out of his shop all day for the sake of the gospel. He was a presence among the people. You can start to see, can't you, how Paul was not only authentic, but he was missional in his approach to the church. You can start to see also, can't you, I hope, how missionality builds transforming community. How someone like that, sitting in that situation, talking all the time about Jesus starts to generate this transforming community. So we've seen that, we've seen authenticity through this part, we've seen missionality through this part, and now I hope in the next sort of, the last third really, to try and draw those two things together and, and really be specific today on how that applies to us here at Foundation Church as a group. The point I want to get to is that for transforming community to work, for it to grow, for it to build in strength upon strength, we need both together. We need the authenticity and we need missionality. Otherwise, there's an imbalance, right? We can be missional, but not authentic. And we end up just sort of putting on lots of events. And yet we don't open up ourselves. We don't uh, stick to our values. And that doesn't work so well. We can be authentic and not missional and we'll just be ineffective. No one will actually hear the good news of the gospel. So Paul sought to model both to the church. And his point is this, that we imitate him. That we and the church of Thessalonica imitate him in his teaching and in his life. I would say this, if we don't own authenticity and missionality, then we will not see a transforming community begin and develop here at Foundation Church. It is that important. We might do many things, but our message won't be heard. And if it is ever heard, it won't be believed because we're not being authentic. We need both at the same time. So what can we learn from Paul as we uh, just think of these verses and, and, and work out what that means for us as a church? How can we respond together in order to develop the transforming community a little bit more. And as I said, I, I want to really uh, grasp together this evening that this is more than just ideas that we're talking about. Uh, this is actually a behavior that we are called 
to exhibit. Um, and I, I must admit, I found this a very challenging text as I've gone through uh, this week, preparing this and thinking through what I'm going to say. Uh, it's challenging not because it's difficult to understand. It's challenging because it has such a high claim on our lives and my life um, here at Foundation Church. So just a few. Uh, I've actually got three specific applications for us here um, at Foundation Church. Number one, being authentic and missional means this. It means considering your proximity and presence. Considering your proximity and presence. What do I mean by this? I want you to think, who is around you in your life? We all exist in a number of spheres in our lives, don't we? We, we sort of rotate in these little groups, whether it's work sphere or the education sphere of school, whether it's the family sphere, perhaps a certain recreation or a social thing. That's another group of people that you know. Just think, throughout your working week, Sunday to Sunday, for example, how many people are you going to come into contact with in those separate spheres? 50? 100? Maybe even more people. So what does it mean, therefore, to be authentic and missional in those spheres that you are in? How can you move from being simply an acquaintance to being a friend? And this is where I think hospitality is a key. In inviting people to your home, inviting people to church, even inviting them into a third space such as a coffee shop or some sort of neutral location. Consider your proximity and your presence. But let's go a little further. Are you willing, particularly if you're a regular here at Foundation Church, are you willing to press deeper into this community, this local community of South Belfast and the surrounding areas? What might that look like for you? Maybe... For you, that would mean frequenting the same coffee shops in this area when you're having conversations with your friends. Maybe this means using the shops in this area, engaging with the services up and down the road and in the local vicinity, library, various programs that are run, various cultural events. Maybe it even means moving closer your house so that you can increase your proximity and your presence in this community. This, of course, has implications for us as a church body as well. The programs that we run, our availability and our presence in this community. We even uh, realized yesterday there's an office available upstairs, um, which is open and, um, you know, maybe that's something we should be thinking about as a church as well, you know, investing, being more permanent here in this, in this center. But anyway, Number one, being authentic and missional means considering your proximity and your presence. What does that look like for you? Number two, then, being authentic and missional as a church means looking at the bivocational option. We saw that Paul made tents as he was preaching the gospel. And in some ways, that's kind of what I'm doing as well, working a few days a week in medical things and working a few days a week in service to the church. But there are many other approaches to bivocationality. It's not only limited to the pastor-teacher, but also to church planters, 
would-be church planters, anyone with a gift in administration, anyone leading mercy ministries, anyone interest in, interested in providing counseling opportunities, anyone interested in developing systems organizationally, making connections with the local area. Various options exist depending on the gifts within this church. But as we saw in his approach to the Thessalonians, it meant that Paul and his team were flexible, that they were able to serve freely, that they were able to support this fledgling church and therefore were able to enable it to multiply quicker as a result. This is in comparison to what we often think is the traditional model of training and paying a full-time minister to do the work. Takes a long time, by the way, to raise that kind of money. So I wonder this evening, is God calling you to think about the bivocational option? Maybe he's calling you, I don't know, to set up a business, to provide that kind of space, that workshop environment, so that you can converse and debate and dialogue within this community. Maybe God is calling you to find a job in this local area intentionally, so that you can connect with local people. Maybe he's leading you to think about being self-sufficient through part-time work so that you can serve the church for a couple of days a week on top of that. Being authentic and missional, number two, means looking at the bivocational option. Not for everybody, but maybe it's for you. Thirdly and finally, cultivate affectionately, sorry, cultivate being affectionately desirous. Being authentic and missional means cultivating being affectionately desirous. Paul and his missionary team, we've seen it already, were driven by love. That's why they were so bold in their approach to the gospel. They were so uncompromising in their message. That's how they were able to sacrifice their comfort and joy in service of the church. That's how they avoided faking it. That's how they avoided being inauthentic. That's what drove them to work hard days and nights for the sake of the gospel. It was love because you've become very dear to us, like a, like a nursing mother with her children. That's how we loved you, says Paul. But this love didn't arise spontaneously within Paul. It was there because of the gospel. It was his response, his heartbeat of a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And when he saw how he had been loved by Jesus, who gave his life in service for the church on the cross, forgiving and restoring and recreating a sinner like him. Then he was driven to demonstrate his affectionate desire for the new believers in Thessalonica. He was filled with this love for them. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ tonight, he did that for you too. To the extent that you comprehend and examine and marvel at the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for you is the extent that you shall cultivate love and affectionate desire for those who do not know him yet. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing example that we read in this letter of the way that Paul and his missionary friends were 
so loving and caring for those in their charge. Father, it inspires us and encourages us with their acts of boldness and service, their authenticity, sticking to the truth and living it out, their missionality, making serious life decisions for the sake of the gospel. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would so stir us this evening to go after this authenticity that we see, to go after this missionality that we see, that we as a church, Lord Jesus, may be developed and deepened as we grow in transforming community. For each of us, Lord, that will be a different thing, that will mean different things, and yet give us the boldness and conviction. If you are working in us, if you are pointing us to a certain thing that we must do, a certain person we must go to to share the gospel, a certain job that we must take, then give us the boldness and the conviction. We thank you for Jesus. And help us now to worship him as we close this time of worship. In his name we pray. Amen.